Um, let's open up with prayer and then we will get started. So, Father, we just come to you right now, Lord, and um, well, I personally just ask that you would um, just lead and guide the words that come out of my mouth. Father, I just pray that only the things that you would have said come out. And Lord, if there's anything that um, is not of you, I just pray that it just it would fall on deaf ears. <laughs> and Lord, but I do also pray for each person here, Lord, that your word, your truth, Father, would go forth and that you would give us all ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand. Father, may we see this in a new light, Lord, and may it not just be a matter of gaining knowledge, but Father, may we take the word and the truth that is spoken and may we apply it to our lives so that we can grow and um, grow more into your image and to allow chains that bind us to be to just fall away father and so lord we commit this um, time to you and we ask for the leading of your holy spirit in jesus name amen all right so um sherilyn did the first two weeks and if you didn't know sherilyn myself and jen are going to be um kind of sharing the the load of teaching and so um you've got me for a month <laughs> so i just kind of happened to fall that um, I have the next two people that we're going to talk about. So um, I just wanted to start off um, and just share with you a little bit of my experience um, in dealing with um, some of the strongholds of anxiety. And so um, so in my childhood, I had this distinct memory of, um, I come from a big family, and when I was in first grade, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and she went through two years of going in and out of the hospital before she passed away. And um, it was just a very um, unstable time, obviously, in our family. And um, I have eight brothers and one sister. And um, there was like five, four or five of us still left at home. I'm the youngest. So um, I just became incredibly fearful about catching the bus, which is stupid. <laughs> but it just was like I literally could look out my front window and see the bus stop up the road. But I was so afraid about missing the bus. The ironic thing was, was um, my brother who was in college to earn extra money drove the bus. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he said, listen, don't worry, it's gonna be fine. I mean, I just was used to having my mom home, helping me get ready, all that. Um, and he's, it's fine, don't worry. I am gonna wait at that bus stop and I will not leave <laughs> until you arrive. You know, if you're late, it's fine, we will wait. I promise you, I'm not gonna leave without you. Needless to say, the next morning, I was the only one that was on time for school on that bus because I convinced my dad at like 6.30 in the morning to just drive me to school before going to work because I was so afraid and my brother waited at the bus stop for 20 minutes. <laughs> so he was in town not too long ago and we were laughing about that. So he's forgiven me. <laughs> anyway, so I think, you know, that kind of is maybe an early memory of like just dealing with the emotional aspect of like allowing fear to come in and... Um, and then as an adult, um, I, my kids will testify to the fact that I get startled incredibly easy. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I do, and I don't like to be startled. And um, probably, I don't know, I wanna, I'm, I'm thinking like five years ago or so, I don't know if it was pre-menopause or what was going on, it was a hormonal thing, but I went through a couple years where I was just really, really dealing with a lot of fear. And um, it kept me awake at night, I would like, I was so concerned that I was going to be the one left staying awake, and Craig can fall asleep at anything. <laughs> so um, I was very afraid that I'd be left staying awake because my mind would just start. I cannot do what Trudy does. I cannot go to sleep when things are on my mind. And so um, it really got to the point where I, I really realized, like, this is a spiritual battle. This is not just me. I'm not some victim of some kind of you know circumstance. I really kind of came to realize, like. Any thought can pop into our heads. We have no control over the thoughts that pop into our head, but we do have control over what we do with those thoughts. And so I just had this thought, like, you need to get the Word of God, and you need to start preaching the Word of God to yourself. And so if you look through my Bible, there are tons of purple highlights. That is, any time I deal with any kind of worry, fear, um, those are the scriptures that apply to that. And I literally started trying to memorize them and laying awake at night, not wrote like reciting them, but like in my mind, silently preaching to myself, like 
preaching, you know, and um, and just you know making them my prayers. And um, it was not an instant fix, but it gave me a lot of comfort. And um, and the Lord really brought me out of that. So. I say all that because um, I am not a stranger to dealing with that. I, I just have a tendency towards worry and things like that. And um, so I may challenge some of your thinking today on um, anxiety. And if I do, please know that I'm also challenging myself, truly. I'm literally preaching the truth to myself right now today. So <laughs> you just get to overhear it. <laughs> so, um, so today um, we're going to be talking about Jonah. And yeah, you can go ahead and turn to Jonah. Um, Before we get into talking about him, I just wanted to ask you, um, you know, the term anxiety has a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. And sometimes it can be a semantics thing. Um, So I thought maybe it would be a good place to start to just kind of think of some synonyms for anxiety. When you think of the word anxiety, maybe um, share with me what you or us, what you think of when you think of that, and maybe some other words that could replace that. And this is just, just our personal, you know, personal experience makes a big difference on how we deal with things. And so on your personal level, there's not a right or wrong on this. On personal levels, when you think of the word anxiety, what do you think of? And, or, what are some words that could replace that? Out of control. Oh, out of control, that's great, yeah. Oh. In, in your in your thinking, I mean, not control because obviously God's in control. Yeah. But, um, or to release that control. Maybe. Okay, I love that. That's so great. I've never ever looked at it that way. That's, That's great. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I said out of control. Yeah, I mean, that's when I'll start to worry is when I know I am not going to be able to have control. Or okay. Or yeah, that's awesome. Worry. Okay. All right. Anyone else? When you think of the word anxiety, what do you think of? What's that? Insecurity. Oh, insecurity. That's good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I hear you on that. A little bit along the same lines as maybe what Angie is saying. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely hear you on yeah. that, yeah. I've never heard it put just out of control, like, oh, okay, that's, but once you started talking, both of you, it's like, mm-hmm, yeah, totally. So, anyone else? Well, I think of, I th- the reason I ask this is because I think sometimes when we say the word anxiety, living in the modern times we're in, Um, There can be a big connotation to some kind of a disorder that you have. I'm not saying that that can't be, but I'm also just want to challenge us to think about fear, worry, anxiety. That's all the same thing. And sometimes we don't think of like worry and anxiety in the same thing because one feels incredibly small and one can feel incredibly big. And I just want to maybe ask us to consider, could they be the same thing and have some of the same solutions? And so... um, and fear also, obviously. So, because for me, I never have thought of myself as an anxious person, um, but I definitely recognize that I am a worrier and I deal with fear sometimes. So, isn't that the same thing? <laughs> you know? So, sometimes semantics can hold us up. Okay, we're gonna be looking at the book of Jonah. We're gonna look at um, both um, weeks that I'm, the next two weeks um, that I'm teaching, we're gonna be looking at Jonah. And Jonah is only four chapters long, so we're by the end of it gonna end up reading through the whole book. Um, how many of you guys remember, I think Matt taught on Jonah maybe two years ago, a year and a half, but I don't know, 2020 made me like lose track of all time. At some point, Matt did a series on Jonah, so you might remember that. So when we're reading through scripture, um, one of the things I think is really important for us to think about, um, no matter what we're st- studying or for what reason, is um, if we're reading a passage of scripture or a Bible in the book, we might see some words that are repeated just over and over and over again. And um, we can call those key words. And they're really important to note um, as we study the Bible um, to get, you know, when God starts repeating things in his word, there is a message he wants to get across to us. So if we look at the book of Jonah, there are two words that really stand out. One word is the word arise. You will see that word over and over again in the book of Jonah. In fact, in the starting of the second verse, we'll see it. And then the other word that kind of pops up a lot is the word appoints. 
And I want us to kind of in the back of our mind note those and maybe think, what is the purpose? What is God trying to say to us in these key words? And again, whenever you're studying the Bible on your own in a teaching or anything, always look for those key words. There might be something there for you, to, a little nugget of gold. So, okay, so let's start in Jonah chapter one, and we're gonna we're gonna take this like just in little niblets. So let's read verses one through two. Did I need to do anything to this, Sherilyn? Okay, good. I just realized like, oh, there's a thing there. <laughs> okay, all right, Jonah chapter one, uh, verse one through two. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amade saying, Arise, there's our keyword, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Okay, so let's just start with just two verses and let's kind of pick it apart here. Not looking for any necessarily deep answers. Sometimes asking the simple questions when we're studying the word can give us like the most in-depth answers and can kind of help us walk down a path of better understanding. So first of all, what does God tell Jonah to do? Arise, okay, get it, yep, okay. All right, and what did you say, Jen? Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, okay, and what else? Preach. Preach, exactly. And what is the reason that he's telling him he wants to go to, he wants him to go to Nineveh? Okay, yep, God sees the wickedness of the Ninevites and he wants him to preach to them. All right, and so how does Jonah respond? What's that? He runs, yes, he definitely runs. Um, so verse 3, it says, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so he went down to Joppa and he found a ship. So st- let's stop there for a moment and just make a little note here. Um, if we, if I could draw a fancy map on the thing or if I had an overhead or whatever, um, it would be like Jonah is here, Nineveh is like here, I might be getting this opposite, and Tarshish is down there. <laughs> You could not get any more opposite in the direction that, that Jonah was running. And, um, you know, those of us that have kids, it's like, have you ever had a kid who just like you tell them to do one thing and they do exactly the opposite thing? Um, what are they generally saying by that action? What's that? Yes, very much so. Exactly. 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 So, um, so. Yes, exactly. So let's kind of get in Jonah's mind for a moment and let's think about what are some reasons that maybe Jonah would not have wanted to go to Nineveh? Okay, he was afraid, fear. Anything else? If you've read the book of Jonah before and you kind of know the rest of the story, is there anything we can kind of glean from it? He doesn't like them. (laughs) And he doesn't necessarily think God should show mercy, right? I mean, so far, God's just saying preach to him. But later on, we'll find out that he's a little perturbed about the fact that God wants to show them mercy. So um, I will tell you that when I saw that Jonah was who we were going to be studying for the next two weeks concerning anxiety, I was like, what? (laughs) Because in my thinking, I immediately say he doesn't want to go because he doesn't like Nineveh. But then I kind of started thinking about Nineveh, and I think to understand who the Ninevites were is going to give us, a, it is going to help us see that, no, there was actually some fear there. So, so the Ninevites, Nineveh is a capital city in the modern day um, city of, I have to look it up here, something Iraq. Where'd my note go? Mosul, Iraq. Um, and it was at the time the capital of the group of people called the Assyrians. So, um, you know, we hear those Bible names, the, you know, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and sometimes it can feel like, oh, okay, and we move on. But to kind of understand who they were in history is a really important thing, and it'll help us to understand Jonah a little better. Um, The Assyrians would have been the equivalent of, like, if ISIS was on the border of either Canada or Mexico, and they were not ISIS, they were like ISIS, like their empire was ginormous. So the Assyrians were one of the biggest empires in the world at that time period, and they were brutal. They were, I mean, if I lived in Texas and the ISIS was right across the border, I would kind of, I would struggle with anxiety. I'm not going to lie. Um, it would be a little terrifying, right? Because ISIS is just brutal with how they attack people and how they come after them. That is exactly who the Assyrians were. So the Assyrians had a reputation of um, coming in. They would take the people 
they would brutalize them, take all their belongings, spread them out all over into all other nations so you could easily get separated from your family. And they had also a big reputation of, you know those cute little rings that the girls are all wearing now? They would put big ones in the kings or you know whoever's leading a country that they were taking over. They'd put a big one of those, like a pig ring, and they would put a chain on it and drag him through the streets as they would take him off to um, captivity. And it was really... Um, a message to the people like we are in charge now and this is your king is nothing more than a pig being led around on a chain kind of thing they also too would come in and um, anyone that they killed in battles they would chop off their heads and they would stack up the heads outside the gates of, of whatever kingdom they had conquered so not very the not really the most politest people. <laughs> so um, they literally were, um, I would say also they're like that equivalent of like in the you know medi- medieval times, the barbarians, you get like the barbarians are coming and people are terrified. That's the Assyrians. So the other thing is too, the Assyrians hated the Israelites. Like it is definitely a kingdom they wanted to conquer. And actually, in fact, they do end up eventually conquering them. Um, so Jonah, this is who God is saying, I want you to go to them. I want you to go to their capital city, which means their king is there, and I want you to preach to them. Okay? So pretty terrifying. All right, so the question we have to ask is, do you think that his fear was rational? Yeah. I mean, I said if they were over on the Mexico border and I was in Texas, I would be really nervous. Yes. So... Sometimes a fear can be rational. It's okay to say, this is scary. Like, this is really, wow. Um, So I want us to think for a moment about you can share your own or you can share just generalities. I I would love for us to share with one another if we all deal with kind of the same kind of things, that'd be awesome, but I would never ask anyone to share anything private, but um, if you feel comfortable. But otherwise, what are some just rational fears in general that people do deal with? It's like it's a possibility. Times were, what's that? Okay, yeah. (laughs) And what would be like some examples of that? Like, Um, just uh, like general examples, you know. If there, if you're not feeling well, or there's something, you know, you do have some kind of issues, and there's ongoing things or new. Um, symptoms, that type of thing. Yes. What it is, and you're going to, you know, have to, you know, try to figure out what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wait, and it's a waiting game. Yeah, that waiting can just build up the, the yeah. fear, can it? Yeah. I have a son who, my, on Craig's side of the family, and many of his grandparents, grandfathers, um, died of heart attacks. And my son, he just really struggles. He's afraid of, of, yeah, the future for his health because of that. So I tell him he's more on the Randall side. We only got our own issues. But anyway, <laughs> that's my side. Okay, um, what other kinds of rational fears might people deal with? Financial. Yeah, it's real, really real. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Like as in like a loved one? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Anything else? World War Three. World War Three. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, man. World War Three. Then there's that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So the thing is, there are definitely rational fears, um, and Jonah, I would definitely say, had one that qualified as that. But does it discount him from doing what God says he needs to do? No, absolutely not. So, um, and that's something for us to think in our personal lives. Like, never should, and I say this, and I'm literally saying it to myself, never should fear trump obedience to God. And if it does, then we really have to think, like, wow, how much of a stronghold does fear have or anxiety, whatever you want to call it, does it have in our life? Um, Never, never, never should it trump. So let's look and kind of look at um, God responding to Jonah's disobedience. So let's start in verse 4. Would somebody like to read verse 4 through 17? Okay. Sailors were afraid, and each cried out on his own, to his own God. 
and then they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had to but Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and yeah, sure, no problem. Somebody else want to just jump in on verse 8? Thank you, Lisa. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make <coughs> sorry, what should we do to you to make the sea sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord. Have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Just to 17, yep. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, awesome. Okay, so couple, two things I want to just really quick point out before we discuss it. First of all, if you go back up to verse 6, and there's always going to be a little tweaking on the, um, on the uh, translation, sorry. But in verse 6, um, how is it that you are sleeping, get up, and call your God? Does anyone have in their translation, arise? Okay, yes, yeah, so Sophie does. So it's that key word there, get up or arise. So again, that's popping up there again. And then clear down in verse 17, um, your translation said he provided a great fish. Um, my translation says he appointed a great fish. So there's our other key word there. So, um, and again, let's kind of like let that ruminate in our minds. Huh, why is that? Wow, that's weird. Okay. Um, we've seen a, a rise a couple different times here, and this is the first of the appointed, I believe. Okay, so again, really simply, not looking for any crazy deep answers, but what are some of the ways that God responds to Jonah's disobedience? Jonah says, I'm going the way I want to go. I don't want to go and do what you're telling me to do because it frightens me. And God says, well, this is my response to you. What does he do? Yep, thank you for asking that. Um, I can, it must have come across confusing. As I was saying, I'm like, I'm this, this is confusing. Um, what, how does God respond to Jonah's disobedience? What does he do? What is his response? Yeah, okay, so he sends a storm. Um, where is that verse about the storm? I felt like there was something in there. I'm going to shake your world. Exactly, exactly, yes. Um, there we go. That's what I was looking at. Like, what a picture that is. Like, God just, like a football, he rolls it, you know. It's like, I'm sending this here away, and, yep, I'm shaking it up. Okay, what? Oh, it does? Oh, that's a storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's awesome. All right, so what else does God do then? He sends a storm, and of course they, you know, they kick him off the boat. I think it's interesting that he says, you need to throw me off the boat. I don't know that I would have said that. I'd be like, yeah. I didn't do anything. Yeah, exactly, that too. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Exactly, exactly. Never would I have. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, but it is interesting that he would rather they throw him into the ocean than for him to go back and have to go to Nineveh. Like, just, just kill me. 
<laughs> exactly. That's funny. Okay, so what's the second? Once they throw them into the um, ocean, then what's the second or see what's the next thing that God does? Yes, in verse 17, the Lord appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. Let's think about that word for a minute and think, just tell me how that makes you feel when it says God appointed the fish to, to basically swallow Jonah. Thoughts? There's no right or wrong. What's that? He's definitely in control. Yep. Yes. Yes, exactly, exactly. I think it shows us that there are a lot of circumstances in our lives that we might think are happenstance, but he's those things. Yes, yes. Does it make anybody in here feel nervous at all? Like we're kind of touching on the sovereignty of God. I will tell you that at times in my life, the thought that God is sovereign and can do whatever he wants has made me a little nervous. <laughs> I mean, not all the time, but, you know, the thought that he could send this giant fish. Remember, Jonah doesn't know the end at this point. He doesn't know the fish is going to vomit him out and all is going to be well. He just is thrown into the sea and a fish swallows him. So it can have a lot of different responses when we think of God appointing us. But I think ultimately the response that it should give us, and sometimes we have to work our way through that to get to that point, but it should bring us some comfort. You know, I heard somebody um, say one time, and it gave me a lot of breakthrough on that thought of the sovereignty of God, that nothing comes into your life without first being filtered through the loving hands of God. And for me, that was just the picture I needed to really help me to trust him a lot more in that whole sovereignty issue. So the thought that God appointed Jonah, or appointed this fish to come to Jonah, can give some some peace. Okay, I'm going to read a quote from the book. Um, I kind of went off the book that we're reading, but then I also kind of went off of my own just because I just do that. But um, this quote was really good. Um, but I have to get my glasses, sorry. It says, um, God didn't just make a giant fish to swallow Jonah, but he did make that fish, which is pretty crazy. But he made that giant fish out of absolutely nothing. Like God's so powerful and so big, and the thought that he made that fish for the purpose that someday there's going to be this disobedient guy that comes along, I'm going to need you to eat him, <laughs> you know? And then he didn't just make the giant fish in the vast ocean. He made the vast ocean and put the fish in there. The king of our heart can make worlds and move whales to help his children to take the next step. And I love that because I don't know that Jonah felt that way at that moment, in and of itself, being swallowed by a whale would be incredibly fear, uh, fear, you know, it would provide some fear for you. It would be scary is what I was meaning to say. <laughs> um, it would be very scary. But that thought that, no, this fish was made specifically for you. I put it in this ocean that I also made out of nothing. And now I am having it swallow you for your good. That's amazing. All right, so the, the fish's purpose is twofold. First of all, to re remind um, Jonah, just like Anne was saying, to remind him of who is actually in control. And um, this is where we kind of um, can kind of start thinking about Jonah's struggle for control. Who was, oh, you brought up control, didn't you? Yeah, out of control. Um, you know, we should challenge ourselves, myself included, to really consider worry, fear, anxiety being an issue of who's in control. Because again, back to what I said at the beginning, like anything can pop into our heads. We can have any kind of thought. We can have any kind of situation that makes us feel any kind of way. We can be fearful, worried, whatever. But what do we do with that? Because we should be challenged to consider sometimes anxiety can drift into sinfulness. The thought is not sinful. But what we do with that thought is, if it keeps us from obeying God, if it causes us to say, I want control, and I, and I am fearful because I don't have control, and I am, I am so like that. Like if, if things are not, if I can't say A is going to happen, then B, and then C, if there's a situation where it's like, I don't know what's about to happen, that's when it rises up for me. So um, I recognize that, well, sometimes that's sinful. And if it's simple, then I have to repent. 
and I have to apply the truth of God's word to my heart and correct myself because I don't want a big fish to swallow me. <laughs> okay, so the first, um, the first purpose of the fish is um, for Jonah to see who is actually the king on the throne, and that is God. And then the second purpose of the fish is to help Jonah to do what God originally wanted him to do, which is arise. And that's the other thing I want us to think about is how much of our life is held back from great things that God has called us to because we choose to say, I'm fearful, I'm afraid, I'm worried. And God's saying, I have all of these awesome things for you to do. Arise and just do it. And we're like, I can't predict that. <laughs> so no, I'm going to go to Tarshish, you know? And um, again, I'm so speaking to myself. You all are just here for you know <laughs> me to hear me talk to myself, I guess. But <laughs> no, we can apply it, all of us to ourselves, I'm sure. So, um, okay, so... Let's turn to chapter 2. We're doing okay for time here. Now we're going to look at how Jonah actually remembers, while he's in the middle of the belly of the whale, he remembers, oh yeah, that's right. I am not in control. I am not the king. Jesus is the king on the throne. So um, would somebody read um, Jonah 2, verses 1 through well, 1 through 9 for now. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All, uh, all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. To the earth beneath that barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit of from, uh, You brought me. You brought my life up from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. To nine. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. To your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that you could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Okay, good. Thank you. A um, couple things I want us to think about. Um, First of all, Jonah finds himself in this very dark and lonely place, incredibly alone. Like he's got nothing. By the way, a little side note for you. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people say, oh, those Old Testament stories, they're just stories. That's all they are. Um, Sherilyn and I were talking this weekend about um, there is a recorded, in the early 1800s, right? <clears throat> there is a recorded incidence of a man being found in a fish, a giant fish, and he was alive. He had been there. They don't know for how long, but um, it's not—it's not impossible, especially when God is God, and He is, um, for uh, somebody to go to the belly of a whale and come out alive. And so that's just a little side note for you. But um, all right, so God takes him to this dark and lonely place, and um, I want you to think in your life: Is there any time that God has taken you to those places in order to deal with your heart? And if you'd like to share any of that, I would appreciate it. And also, or maybe more important even, how did you respond? Like, what did you do when you were there? How did you feel? How do you feel like most people respond when they are put into a situation they don't want to be in? They feel alone. It feels like I can't figure out how I would ever get out of this situation. What are people's most common responses? Yes, okay, all right. Anger, Anger yeah. At God? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to be just towards God. I mean, it True. can be towards God, but it's going to 
come out in a lot of ways. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Draw away. Yes, for sure. For sure. Yes, I agree with you. So, like, would it be fair to say, like, they kind of feel the victim in that situation? Yeah. Yeah, and Jonah definitely could have, he could have done all of those things. I mean, he could have gotten very angry at God, for sure, or angry in general. Um, And he most certainly could have felt depressed and, you know, here he was just afraid and then he becomes depressed because of the anger. There's so many ways that he could respond but I think it's interesting how he does respond. Um, he turns to the Lord, and immediately there's this prayer that comes out, and it's very humbled. And I think about some of the things he said. Um, uh, there was somewhere where he talked about how the seaweed was wrapped around his head. What verse is that? I feel like that's a description of him drowning. Of him drowning? I think I- Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, definitely. And definitely that would be a reaction, too. Like, I feel like I am drowning. It's overwhelming to me, you know. Yeah, definitely. To me, the vibe of, like, chains, like, um, CD wrapped around my head, kind of, like, chains pulling me Yeah. Oh, that's good. You guys are so good. That's awesome. If you swim in the lake or whatever, when you do get tangled up in the seaweed, it's... Scary. It's a scary feeling. Yeah, for sure. The water is moving the seaweed, and so it does feel like arms. Like it does. Um, I mean, I have been tangled before. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Oh, you guys saw this in such cool ways. I just didn't didn't need that. Didn't even occur to me. So. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'm honestly totally with you on that. <laughs> and I've had that exact thought. Okay. Talking like tow, like a car is towed out. Yeah. And would would we normally think of anxiety as an idol? Exactly. Yeah, it is. It really is. I think the world tells us that anxiety is a thing that either is a part of our identity or it's that we are victims of. And I'm not saying that there's never instances. Everyone's, you know, everyone's got to search out that for themselves. But 
I think a lot of times it, it is an idol of self. Yeah, and I know for me it is. You know, it, it really is because I don't have control. It's that control. It's totally that control. That is for sure. <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't think in our world it ever would be, it's very rarely presented as something that um, is something we need to repent of. And not like a one-time repentance. I mean, Jonah repented. We're going to see next week, Jonah repents here. He's got other issues he's going to need to repent of later in the next two chapters. So it's not a like one and done kind of thing. It's a daily sometimes going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I am not the king. You are. And what you have for me today I, I submit to it, you know. You really do have to do it nonstop, like repetitively, yeah. especially in the world that we live in, because you have so many opposite messages yes. coming at you all the time. Yes, exactly. Absolutely, absolutely. And I often think that, you know, there's not a person out here in the world that does not have some sins that easily beset them. In other words, things that just kind of keep tripping them up over and over and, you know, the thorn in the side or the, you know, that Paul dealt with kind of thing where it's like, my grace is sufficient for you. You may deal with this for the rest of your life. And sometimes you're going to have incredible victories and sometimes you might sit in the belly of the whale a little bit, you know. But again, I am with you and I'm going to bring you through and I appoint things because I've called you to arise and do great things. I haven't called for you to live your life in fear, you know. So... For me, I know anxiety causes me to have internal conversations mm-hmm. with people that, you know, this is what I would say to them, and you know, but you know, I wish I would have said this, or you know, you know, how I so I have these internal conversations going on, and the keep every thought captive is really yes. for me that that's not but it, because I could like in my former years build this up to this little molehill of something that's happened could become now a mountain that I have to dig through to get to the other side. Absolutely. And one of the things that I find myself is those little sideway comments that she was talking about. And so many times it's like, oh my gosh, I I suffer from that. I mean, suffer from, or that must be one of my idols that I didn't know that I even had because I often will think of, oh, I wish I would have said this, and it's a snide comment mm. that would have, it, it, it wasn't direct, but like, they would have got the message. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and gosh, it's, you just don't think about those things. Yeah. But that's one of the things that, where my anxiety goes. Yeah. When I, I'm feeling anxious about something, I will start having these little conversations in my head. I wish I could remember to just go up and say, an internal conversation with him yeah, about so the situation that yeah 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 and so you think about that and and God doesn't give us what are you laughing at no I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm are oh, you telling yourself that? Okay. Exactly. And yeah. so I just want to put like a mute button on my head. Yeah. I think it's interesting how how much trouble he brought on himself by running. Like yeah. if he just gone. And it makes me wonder like how much of our troubles are brought on ourselves because we're not willing to just obey. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's a certain amount of perseverance for me when you are facing those fears and anxiety, and I really struggle with that um, because persevering is up. There's a lot of discomfort in that, yes. um, and to stick with it, and then it's like two steps forward and four steps back, mm-hmm. um, and then because 
of the struggles, there's like an amount of comfort in that stepping back and not persevering and getting out of your comfort zone. And I think getting over that hump, um, I don't know. That's like a hump. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm waiting. I'm like, when, when am I going to get over that hump? And um, the perseverance that it takes to get there is just uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We, we also train our brains physiologically to you think in that fear anxiety state long enough your brain has that elasticity and it goes there so then you have to focus on transforming and putting on that old and mm-hmm. putting on the new but so it's like trying to rebuild yourself over again your brain to mm-hmm. have the mind of christ it's really true That's what it, i think it's so hard for what do you was teaching this weekend about like you can't just remove a hard idol you have to replace it yeah Yeah. for me you know when I said you know the time period where I was just up at night and just you know my husband who has never feared a thing in his life I'm not kidding you that guy is so not afraid of anything or worries about anything Um, he's just dozing away there and um, (laughs) and I guess I could certainly have woken him up and you know talked to him I'm sure he'd be willing to hear me out and pray for me but it was just a, a an aloneness that I felt very strongly in the middle of, and it felt very dark. And I remember distinctly having this thought, and I feel like it was I very rarely would I say, the Lord spoke to me, but I had a thought at least that I think may have come from the Lord, um, that like, you actually kind of enjoy this. <laughs> you know, I think kind of what you were saying, like our minds go back to that, and we probably do have some kind of a chemical reaction in our brains that makes us go, you know, it's like the things that we return to again and again, they do, even though they hurt us, even though they cause more anxiety or whatever, there is a certain amount of like, I feel sorry for myself and I enjoy it because I'm the victim of this thing. If you don't stop it, it becomes the normal. Right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so for me, it was that moment, not that it's like completely solved, but that moment of Jonah of like, I have to turn to the one who has the truth because I do not have the answer and I can't do this in myself and I shouldn't be taking pleasure because that is idol worship, you know, definitely. So, okay, let's um, finish out here. So last verse, then the Lord commanded or appointed the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. So, and why does the fish do it? Because God appoints him. A couple things I want us to kind of walk away from and think about as we um, go away from this lesson. By the way, this story is not over. And um, I do love that Jonah got to the point of repentance and, um, you know, turned his attention to the Lord. The thing about the seaweed, by the way, I loved what all of you guys were saying. For me, you know what my thought was, was that um, here God had had, uh, had made Jonah and commanded him to arise and go do these great things. And yet he was kind of like the prodigal son in the pig slop, covered in seaweed and literally stomach acids of a fish, you know. And it's like God's called him to so much more. And he sees that. And um, and I do love that he does. He brings up in verse 8 the vain idols. And then in verse 9 he brings up thanksgiving. He says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. And I think that is a really a key thing we're dealing with. Any kind of worry and fear and anxiety is going to the Lord in thanksgiving. What has he done in the past for you? Thank him for it. What is he doing right now for you? Thank him for it. And to fill our hearts with thanksgiving towards him. Okay, now I really mean, uh-huh, does, no. Does God bring him back to Joppa? Uh, I don't. I don't think it ever says whether he brought him back. He does not go back. To, he ends up going to Nineveh. He's the um, fish spits him out not very far from Nineveh. Okay, because I know we can't get to a map. There's like land in between. Yeah. Yeah, to Nineveh, yeah, <laughs> to the place that God commanded them to, basically, or not very far from there. Okay, a couple of things I want us to walk away thinking about. Um, sometimes we have a rational reason for fear. But that will never, ever trump obedience to God. And then when we are anxious, could we this week challenge ourselves to ask ourselves, is this about control? Because it might be. So let's just like, let's walk away thinking about that. Anytime you feel a, a little bit of fear, worry, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, let's stop and let's think like, 
is this an idol thing? Is this about me being in control and being the, the queen on the throne instead of him being the king on the throne? And then ironically, and I love the irony of this because I know this is the Lord, could we all turn to 2 Corinthians 10.5? I say irony because Trudy brought this verse up and I'm just like, that makes me so excited and happy that obviously God is trying to use it. 2 Corinthians 10. And Trudy, would you be willing to read that to us? It's 10.5. 2 Corinthians 10.5? Yep. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish... Just just verse 5 would be great. Thank you, Trudy. I appreciate it. So, um, although we could go on, but um, just to keep it simple, because it's kind of a wordy verse. So basically, if we have to sum this up, we're saying that um, Paul is saying that we are to do something. We are to go against arguments against God. And a lot of times we think of that as like, oh, the world just you know has these things against God and we're to stand up. No, we're sometimes just talking about in this our own heads. We are arguing against the truth of God and against his kingship in our lives. And, and it tells us here that we are to fight a battle. And even if that battle means against ourselves, we're to do it with the truth. And I just, I do, Trudy, I, I love that you brought that up. I love that thought. We are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're not to let it run around all over us, free as a bird to just make us think and feel whatever we want. God's given us by his Holy Spirit the power to take that thought captive and the only, not in and of ourselves, only by the truth of God's word. So as we walk away, I want you to think about asking yourselves, is it a control issue? And then I also challenge you, if you've not already done this, go through the Bible and start looking for verses that deal with, you're probably most likely, there are verses that use the word anxiety or anxious, but any words, any scriptures that talk about fear definitely apply. So um, choose a highlight color, and I encourage you, that has been a life-changing thing for me, because you know what? Whenever I feel it, and I do feel it often, I find those purple verses, and I know I can, I can go there and I can fight the battle that is going on in my heart. So.